John chapter 3 is where we're going to begin today, so I I would like you to turn in your Bible over to John chapter 3, John chapter 3. We continue, actually today is the conclusion of our series, Keys to Freedom, in your life or for your life. We've covered three so far in this series. The first is I'd like to lay that foundation again because it is, in fact, the foundation for everything else that we've covered. And that freedom was the freedom of trusting Christ as your Savior. Uh, If you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if if you have not put your faith in him and him alone to get you to heaven, he's the only way, he's the only way, then I urge you to do that today because you are living under the bondage and in the bondage of your sin. Now, you may not realize it, but that is what's going on. And until you trust Christ to save you, you will not understand what bondage you are in. But that freedom that comes through putting your faith in Christ the Savior is the foundation for all other freedoms in the Christian life. And so what am I talking about, this issue of trusting him as Savior? Trusting him as Savior. What is that word, Savior? Well, to save means to deliver to deliver from something, usually to deliver from something bad to something good. And that is exactly what Jesus did. The most profound saving that's ever taken place is the fact that he came into the world because man was lost, man was guilty, man was condemned, is condemned, and Jesus came into the world to be our savior. Remember the angel said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, He could have used any word he wanted, but he said a savior, which is Christ the Lord, not a way shower, not an example. He was all of those things, okay? Not a friend, he was that. Shepherd, yes. Savior, first and foremost, a savior. Saving us from what? Listen, folks, from an eternity in hell, suffering because of our sin, to enjoying the thrill and the awesomeness of heaven, forever. Okay. Ralph and I, we were talking about, uh, the days coming when we're going to have new bodies and that's coming. And you know what? We are going to have an existence that is just going to be awesome. And that's all through putting your faith in Christ, the savior. He saves you from your sin, from the penalty of your sin. And he gives you eternal life and he gives you a home in heaven. All you can do to have that for your very own is not good works, not going to church, being baptized, giving money, keeping the commandments, trying. None of those things will save you. A payment for your sin has to be made. And that's what Jesus did. John chapter three, verse 16. And by the way, a lot of people see John 6, 316. They don't understand it was in a sense, it was prophetic because it hadn't happened yet. But in God's mind, it has because God lives in eternity. But a lot of people don't know that John 3.16 was said by the Savior himself, referring to himself. And notice that it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, and that word means to trust in him, to rely upon him, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now believe in him for what? Believe in him as the payment for your sin. That's the context that he was talking to Nicodemus about. He was telling Nicodemus, you have to be born again if you're ever going to see the kingdom. 
And then he gave the illustration, the Old Testament type in the Old Testament about the, the, the people were dying because they had been bitten by the snakes, the serpents. And that one was put on a pole and it was lifted up. And whoever would look simply by faith, look at the serpent on the pole, they would be saved. They would be delivered from physical death from the poisonous bite, okay? Well, it's very much, well, it is exactly the same. The Lord Jesus Christ, okay? He is the one who was lifted up on the pole. He died on the cross of Calvary and to pay for our sins. And whosoever simply looks by faith, looks at him by faith, you're not promising, you're not starting anything, you're not stopping anything, okay? It's simply you looking to him as your savior, as your salvation. And when you trust in him, he gives you as a free gift, everlasting life, all right? Here we are as sinners. God loves us. Our sin separates us from God. You can't get to heaven with even one sin. It has to be gone. If we pay for our sin, if we suffer the consequences of our sin, eternal death, separation from God forever. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He died on the cross, made the complete payment for all sin, came back from the dead, and he says, if you believe in him, if you put your faith in him, you will not perish. That's a promise. That means go to hell. But you have everlasting life. The moment you believe, you will have everlasting life, that very moment. That's why, you know, don't say to people, uh, well, you know, you trust Christ, and, and when you die, you can be sure of going to heaven. No, friend, it's bigger than that. You can be sure you're going to heaven now. He gives you everlasting life, not when you die. Now, I know well-meaning people say that. No, he gives you everlasting life now, this moment. From this point on, you have everlasting life. That's what makes it such awesome news, all right? And it's not of works. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says this, For by grace are you saved. God's grace, a lot more about grace in a few minutes. For by grace are you saved through faith in Christ, and that not of yourselves doesn't depend on you. It is the gift of God. Gifts are free. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your only way to heaven, there is no other way. Jesus himself said it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So you need to put your trust in him. And when you do, he will save you and you will be declared righteous and you will be freed from the bondage of the penalty of your sin. You're accepting his payment as your payment. And then he gives you eternal life. We also saw in this series the freedom of obedience to the word of God. Once you're saved, God wants us to start learning the word of God. And not only learning it, but then doing it. Now, a lot of people are in bondage, even Christians, because they don't know what the Bible says, because they're not in the word of God. And they, they keep making wrong decisions, one on another, on another, on another. They're under the burden, they're under the bondage of the wrong decisions they're making, contrary to the way of God. See, God has a plan not only to get us to heaven, he has a plan for our lives now. And the freedom is found in his way. The psalmist said, I will walk at liberty for I seek thy precepts. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, come to understand the truth and the truth will make you free. Now he said that, not, that wasn't said to lost people. That was said to newly saved people. 
See, he's talking about going on and learning his word. So there's the freedom that comes from not only learning the word of God, but obeying the word of God. And then there's the freedom of laying aside weights and sins. Okay, and we talked about that last week. Weights are time and thought robbers, and sins are, well, sins. Okay, things that are an offense to God that are contrary to his word. But let's go on today, because today we're looking at the last one. And I'm not saying this list of freedoms could not be longer, but I felt these were extremely significant, and that's why we're covering them. Number four is the freedom of forgiving others. The freedom of forgiving others. Now, I want you to listen closely as we go through today, and I'm asking you to be very honest with God and his word, all right? I know there are people in this room and I would even include myself in this, who have been hurt sometime or another, who have been offended sometime or another. What do you do with that? What do you do with it? We're talking about that today. The freedom of forgiving others. One of the greatest of all hindrances to experiencing the freedom in our lives is not forgiving others of their offenses toward us. Right? Well, they haven't come. I would forgive them if they would come. More about that in a few minutes, okay? But let me say right here, you do not understand forgiveness, if that's what you're saying, okay? You're thinking reconciliation. We'll talk more about that after forgiveness today. Very important message we're looking at here today. I don't think it's possible to live a life with people in it and not get hurt in one way or another. People offend others and even at times, now sometimes people offend others and they don't mean to, but there are even times when people do mean and ugly things to other people. And maybe you've had someone do mean and ugly things to you. See, we are sinners and we sin toward one another. Some of these things are somewhat small, but others can be major sins against other people. We can get deeply hurt, emotional scars. We can get deeply offended, embarrassed, humiliated by what has happened. But what do we do when those things happen? What do you do? You can't undo it, so where do you go with it? When we have been sinned against, we can take the problem to the person and hopefully they'll respond in a right way and we can reconcile with that person and then go on. And by the way, that's the ideal and that's, that's the, the desire of God in every situation. That is God's plan. Can I tell you that? That is the ideal. More about that later. But what if the person has no remorse or doesn't want to see the problem? or even doesn't even care. They don't care. What do you do? Might say, well, you just gotta go on and live in that situation. No, my friend, you can make a huge difference in your life, and it's in the word forgiveness. There's still only one real solution to that issue, and the issue is forgiveness. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter four. 
There's a lot of instructions going on here in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 is the, the transition chapter of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1 through 3 talks about our standing in Christ, okay, what we are in Christ, what we've been given in Christ, the awesomeness of being saved and being a child of God. But then when you get to chapter 4, there's a, there's a transition into, okay, now how does that affect my everyday life? And so we see a lot of things here in Ephesians 4. And uh, we won't cover them all. There's so much here. This is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, by the way. But it says in verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Now, how many of you are saved today? You know you're going to heaven, okay? You, you know it, you have eternal, great. Put your hand down. That's most everybody here, hopefully. So this is written to you as a child of God. This is written to you who has the Holy Spirit living inside of you. This is written to you who have a new nature, born of God, which never sins. And through the, the power of the spirit and the new nature, we have the ability to live a supernatural life. So it's not pie in the sky. This is reality. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. The moment you trust Christ the Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. Okay, you don't get the Holy Spirit later, you get him the moment you believe. Paul said in Romans, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. You're not saved if you don't have the Holy Spirit, right? So grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, you notice, we have the Spirit. Don't grieve him. What would grieve him? Here you go. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And here you go, verse 32 is our key verse today. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. The foundation of our forgiving each other is what Christ has done for us in forgiving us. Do we get that? How many of you get that? Okay, all right, good, okay? So let's go on, let's define some things. Now, one is this, what does forgiveness mean? Well, I want you to, to really get a handle on this today. There are two words in the New Testament having to do with forgiveness, two root words, okay? The one that we see in verse 32 is the uh, Greek word charizomai, okay? And the root word is the word for grace. Charis is the root of the word charizomai. Charis, okay? And that's the word for grace. Grace means undeserved, you catch that? Undeserved mercy, unmerited favor, in the context, it is forgiving someone even though they don't deserve it. Say it again. It is forgiving someone even though they don't deserve it. It is acting in grace to them. It is giving them undeserved kindness, unmerited favor, even though they don't deserve it. See, here's the point of verse 32. God forgave us of all of our sins the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, all of our sins were forgiven. Now, we think in terms of past. Listen, he forgave us of all the sins that we would do in our entire lifetime. 
things that we haven't even done wrong yet, even the awful things that we may do once we've trusted Christ as Savior. Those were forgiven. In light of eternity, those were forgiven as well. All of them, at one time, the moment we trusted Christ, provision was made through the payment Jesus made. But when we put our faith in him, he forgave us of all of our sin. When we believed, even though we do not deserve it or ever will deserve his forgiveness, he did it anyway. It was an act of grace. This is all based on what God has done for us through the work of Christ. One of my favorite commentators who's been enjoying the glories of heaven now since about 1953 said this, quote, to what extent must I forgive? Now, getting back to the context of Ephesians 4, one another, forgiving one another. To what extent must I forgive? I have forgiven over and over and over again, and I cannot go on forgiving forever, you say. Wait a minute. What does the apostle say about the extent to which we are to forgive? Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Can you ever get beyond that? Has anyone ever wronged you as much as you wronged God? But if you have trusted the Savior, God in Christ has forgiven you all your trespasses. Now this is the standard for Christians. We are to forgive one another even as God in Christ has forgiven us, unquote. Now, why do we struggle with that? Well, you know. It's that nasty five-letter word. Actually, it's the root of all sin. Pride. Pride. I say, oh, not me. Yes, you. Yes, me. That is what it comes down to. We forget the heinous nature of our own sin that we haven't even, not only what we've done, but what we're still going to do in the future and how every sin is an abomination to God. And we think for some reason that it's okay for us not to forgive, but I'm glad God forgave me. Who do we think we are? When we see it as God does, in the end, there shouldn't be any problem with forgiveness. Let me say it again. When we see it as God does, in the end, there shouldn't be any problem with forgiveness. It is the attitude that we see in Jesus when he was dying on the cross. Do you remember what he said when he was dying on the cross? Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. The son was asking the father to forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't understand. You might say, yeah, but somebody knew what they were doing towards me. Uh, Let me tell you something, friend. If they understood their sin like God sees their sin, they probably wouldn't have done it. Then again, who knows? Maybe they would, because we are wicked. What, who's speaking in, on Luke, in Luke 23? You might say, well, Jesus is speaking, yes. But you know what? Can I also say this? Grace is speaking when Jesus was on the cross. They didn't deserve to be forgiven. They were nailing the Son of God to the cross. They were hurling insults to him. They were enjoying what they were doing. You see, it is easy to love those who love us, but the crucifixion of Christ was the ultimate wrongdoing. 
And yet the Lord Jesus so loved them that he wanted them forgiven. Go with me. Hold your place in Ephesians 4. Go with me to Ephesians 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We have the other word for forgiveness in Ephesians chapter 1. It says in Ephesians 1 and verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. This is the other word for forgiveness. And this word for forgiveness, whereas the other one means to act in grace towards, this one means to send away or dismiss. To send it away. Away with that sin. I dismiss that sin. I send it away. Now, while it is a different Greek word, it in fact goes hand in hand with the other word for forgiveness. How does it work? Here it is. We are to act in grace toward one another and then send that sin they have committed against us. We are to send it away. And by the way, folks, I'll just say this. It goes without saying, but I will say it. When you send it away, you don't chase after it to get it back. The whole concept of sending it away is once you send it, it's gone. You might say, well, this is all bigger than me. Yes, it is. But God has called us to a supernatural life. So, this is what forgiveness is, okay? Forgiveness is acting in grace towards someone who does not deserve it, forgiving them, and then not only forgiving them, but sending it away to dismiss it, dismiss it. That means you're letting it go, you're putting it behind you. Okay? This is what forgiveness means. But secondly, let me just flip that. What about unforgiveness? What does that do? Unforgiveness is like a cancer for the soul. It will eat you up. It'll wreck your life. The longer it goes on, the more bondage occurs. One commentator said this, quote, and I agree with him, the moment a man wrongs me, I must forgive him. Then my soul is free. If I hold the wrong against him, I sin against God and against him and jeopardize my forgiveness with God. Now that's on a fellowship level, not on an eternal level. Whether the man repents, makes amends, asks my pardon or not makes no difference. I have instantly forgiven him. He must face God with the wrong he has done. But that is his affair and God's and not mine, save that I should help him according to Matthew 18, 15 and following. But whether this succeeds or not, and before this even begins, I must forgive him, unquote. Listen carefully. Here's what he was getting at there about God not forgiving. If you won't forgive, then God will not forgive you. You will go on in bondage. Why? Because that is walking in pride. That's what that is. Now, folks, we all have it. I get it. We all have it. Okay? Hold your place here and look at Matthew chapter 6. Years ago, I read a, uh, a pastor. Uh, he, was, he was writing about this passage in Matthew and he says, you know, it is sad to say in the days in which we live, some Christians never walk one day in fellowship with God. And the reason is they will not forgive. Didn't say they're not saved. They're saved. 
but they don't walk in fellowship with God. Look at it, Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, unforgiveness is like a cancer to the soul. We go on in bondage. And you know what? If that cancer continues to grow, it more and more controls us. And if it more and more controls us, that's more and more bondage. Doesn't have to be. I know this is challenging, but it's true. Let's move on. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 which is a sister passage to Ephesians 4.32, which takes us to our third point, and it is this. When we forgive, we are freeing ourselves from the bondage and bitterness that grows out of it. When we forgive, we are freeing ourselves from the bondage and the bitterness that grows out of it. Many years ago when we first came here, oh, probably, we'd been here probably six or seven years, we had a, a family coming, And they were saved by grace. They'd been saved uh, uh, through a ministry up on the Iron Range, and they weren't there, but uh, people from there, and and so on and so forth. Anyways, saved by grace. They knew it. They had it. They had the gospel just as clear as anybody could have the gospel. No question about that. But they had a, a philosophy of life that was saved by grace, live any way you wanted. Okay? Well, they were coming to our church for quite a while, and, uh, you know, the husband... He was a, an interesting man in himself. His wife, as far as I'm concerned, was very rebellious. She was in your face with rebellion. This is the way she was, okay? Saved. These are saved people. And so I would try to work with them and show them things. And, you know, uh, we'd been to their house a bunch of times and so forth. And, and, uh, and things just seemed like they got worse and worse and worse as time goes on. Finally, they quit coming. They quit coming. And he kind of, I would run into him from time to time. And it was always this thing. It was kind of like, the mentality is, well, you know what? I know I'm carnal. He says, I'm carnal, but at least I'm spiritual enough. Well, he didn't say spiritual enough. I know I'm carnal, but at least I'm honest enough to admit I'm carnal. Therefore, I'm okay. You know, I'd say, people think that way more than you would imagine. Okay? So, This went on, well, I didn't see him for a long time. So years went on, years went on. So one day I'm here, and and they said some nasty things about us and this and that, and they got back to me, and, and, uh, you know, he he fought me, and he, you know, just a lot of different things, not physical, but I just thought, well, you know, Lord, I just just forgive him. I'm not going to hold these things again. I'm just not going to hold these things again. And I went on with my life. You know, everything's relatively good, so to speak. Other things, other problems, yeah, here and there. But that one, not a big deal. Didn't bother me. Years later, I'm sitting here. Door opens. In walks this guy. I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be interesting. Hey, how's it going? Oh, good. How are you? This is interesting. I figured something good had happened. He, uh, you know, he would never before, he almost never called me pastor. It was Tom. He insisted on that. And uh, so he comes in and he, he says, hey, pastor. I'm thinking, God's done something here. 
well, how you doing? You know, how's the family? And I was asking about his kids and his wife and all that. And he says, well, he says, I was in the air. He says, I just stopped by. He says, uh, I'm here to apologize to you. Good 10 years, folks, has gone by. I'm here to apologize to you for the way I was. He says, I was so wrong in the way I was. And you know, the things you said and you told us and you taught, he says, you're, you're, you're right. On all those things, you're right. And I'm just here to apologize to you. I'm sorry, and I'm asking you to forgive me. And I said, I forgave you a long time ago. Let me ask you this. What if I would have held on to that all those years? Would I have been free inside? No. I would still be in bondage. But you see, that would have been a decision I had made to hold on to that. No, I forgave him long time ago. And I told him that. And I think he was a little baffled maybe by it, but I, I told him that. But you see, our relationship was not reconciled. Forgiveness had taken place, but reconciliation had not. I'm going to get to that in just a minute because forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same. One paves the way for the other, but they're not the same. All right? You might say, well, I don't, I don't believe that. Well, let me ask you this. Then if you have bitterness and there's offense and hurt from somebody who died, how are you going to ever fix that? You going to live in that till you die? You think that's God's will? No, he's got a solution. It's called forgiveness. Okay? When we forgive, we are freeing ourselves from the bondage and bitterness that grows out of it. Because this is not practice. Listen, many marriages break up because of this, as well as other relationships, not only husbands and wives, children against parents, siblings, brothers and sisters against each other, brothers and sisters in Christ against each other, hostility, even hatred. And we all have the Holy Spirit and new natures. What's going on? See, here's the truth. It doesn't have to be. Pride is the problem. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind. By the way, that's the opposite of pride, isn't it? Meekness, humility, long-suffering, forbearing one another. You know what that word means? That's an interesting word, very practical. It means putting up with. Putting up with one another. And forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Let it go. Forgive them. Be gracious towards them, be merciful towards them, and send it away. So what God says, go with me to Matthew 18. Many of us are familiar with this passage, but I have something to share with you today that maybe you've never learned. I know some of you have learned this, been taught it, I should say. We have to learn it in life, don't we? Matthew 18, verse 21, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? You know, well, Peter, he's thinking, man, I think I'm getting a handle on this grace thing. Well, a blow to his pride is just around the corner. 
And I don't know this. I, 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 you know, I imagine things just like you do sometimes. So I'm not teaching this as Bible doctrine. I just try to imagine if I was just there watching this. I can't help but think in verse 22, Jesus was smiling when he said it. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times. Seven. Seventy times seven. You know the point, folks. Now, was Jesus actually saying, and after that, don't ever forgive him again? No, he's saying, you keep doing it. You keep doing it. You know what's interesting? And here's what I wanted to get at. What's interesting, now here's the teaching, very clear, very clear, 70 times seven, all right? This chapter, now I'm not saying chronologically in time it happened this way, but the Holy Spirit saw fit to put Matthew together this way, the Gospel of Matthew. And this chapter comes right before the section on marriage and divorce, Matthew 19:3 the, the Pharisees also came unto him tempting him and saying unto him is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause And he answered and said unto him have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh wherefore they are no more twain or two but one flesh what therefore God hath joined together let not man put asunder it's supposed to be permanent so then why isn't it read on they say unto him why did Moses then command that's an interesting liberty they're taking there why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away and he said unto them Moses watch it because of the hardness of your hearts suffered or allowed you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. See, folks, God's way, now again, forgiveness is one thing, reconciliation is another. God's way is that forgiveness just keeps going on. And that relationship should be repaired rather than thrown away. It should be repaired. But it takes, to reconcile, takes two parties, not just one. But forgiveness can be there. Okay? What if they don't ask forgiveness? Even if the other person does not want to make things right, we can still forgive. They have a responsibility before God to deal with it properly. But we can forgive. Okay? Let us not have the carnal idea, folks. Well, if if you're not going to make it right, I'll never forgive you. That is not biblical. That will result in the cancer of unforgiveness. It's not God's way. Let's move on. The last point is this. Forgiveness, while related to reconciliation, is not the same. And this is so important to understand the difference. Reconciliation is when two parties that have been divided... Come together in harmony. All right? Two parties that have been divided come together in harmony. Reconciliation, by the way, is always, always the will of God. It is the entire theme of the Bible. Do we understand that? Man was in harmony with God. Man sinned. God provided a redeemer. 
the payment for sin to where man could come back into harmony with God and be restored to that right relationship. That's the story of the Bible. And that story of the Bible is foundation, should be, I should say, foundational to every relationship that we have as people. Every relationship. I, regular basis, hear of fallouts and problems and divisions and, and anger and all between people. It's like Christians. Listen, I don't, I don't expect lost people to get this. But between Christians, and it's like, oh God, Lord, this, this just breaks your heart. It's not supposed to be this way. Listen, if I'm, if I'm at fault, I need to admit if it's fault, okay? Not made up. If I'm actually at fault, I need to admit that. But there should be a desire on both sides of two people to make it right, to first forgive and then to reconcile. This word, reconciliation, one lexicon says, the reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. It's a good definition, nice and simple. I like it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, to wit, verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. The word of reconciliation is the truth of the gospel. And that's our ministry, to let people know that they can be reconciled back to God. Jesus made it possible for them to be reconciled back to God. Now, you know what? Here's God. Look at the picture Look at the picture. Here's God looking at the world like this. He made it possible for everybody to be reconciled. You might say, well, then is everybody going to be reconciled? No, no, they're not. Why? Well, they don't want to, or they don't understand it. Okay, now that's in light of eternity. That's not talking about on a a human level between two people. We have a choice. We have a choice, don't we? You don't have to take it with you. There's freedom, but it takes forgiveness. I believe it takes both kinds. All right? Now, you may be here today. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, has preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified by all th- from all things, all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Where we started this series is in John chapter 8. And in John eight thirty two, it says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Okay, friend, there's the freedom of trusting Christ as your savior. If you've not trusted Christ as savior, you need to trust him as your savior. You might say, well, I've done that. I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. Okay, well, you know what? Today we talked uh, in part about the freedom of obedience to the word of God. Today you've learned, I've learned, what forgiveness is. Now what am I going to do with it? The freedom of laying aside weights and sin, yes. And then lastly, what we talked about today was the freedom of forgiveness. Can I ask you today to make a decision? Two decisions. One, if you've never trusted Christ, trust him as your savior. The other is this, if you're a believer, or maybe even not a believer, will you do this? Will you forgive? 
Will you forgive today? I don't need to know the severity of your hurt or abuse. It's in this room. We know that. Crowd this side, there's no way that that's not there. But you know what? God's answer has been provided. He wants us to have freedom. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.